0: Hey everyone! Thanks for listening. In this episode of the Noob Show, I chat with Martin Woodward, the VP of Developer Relations from GitHub. We record this episode at GitHub Universe 22 in San Francisco. We chat a bit about developer relations, what GitHub is, some of the new features announced at GitHub Universe 2022, and a bit of other things such as management tips and how to measure developer productivity. I hope you enjoy. If you like this, please do share it with a friend, and don't forget to rate us and. various places in which you've listened to this podcast enjoy
1: screen yeah the one we are using on the main stage oh right.
0: yeah it was cool it was actually really nice to see the um the presenters like
1: handles up there yeah um yeah, yeah, yeah. I and mean, that's it yeah we don't do don't do like welcome to vp of yeah Europa relations blah blah, blah. yeah Just like, it mood. was it was very smooth as well okay cool um, well, on the on the on the stream, well, we can talk about it later on. But on the stream that we, because op, we're optimizing for the stream, right? mm-hmm. the in-person experience is more about meeting people, right? And the stream is about like the content stuff, yeah. And so that's why in the stream it does proper lower thirds. But before, wasn't well, no, point doing them on stage? Because who cares? So, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. No, I think it's I think it was really good. Cool. It was really smooth and really well done. So great. You know, props Thank to everyone in the team. Okay, so. Um, Pretty sure I'm I'm here in frame, but uh,
1: find out. Yeah, we'll find out. <laughs> There's only
0: one way. There's only um, we we do one take and hope it works. And if not, well, then you get you get what you get. Uh, it's not Burger King. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so I guess the first question I have is, well, so this is Mar- Martin Woodward. He's the, he's now the VP of Developer Relations at GitHub, a company that most people, I'm sure, almost every developer that listens to this podcast has heard of. Um, So the question is, what do you actually do at GitHub, and how would you explain to someone that doesn't know about GitHub what GitHub is? Specifically,
1: my mom. My mom <laughs> Well, for sort of <laughs> that level for family members and things, I tend to say because uh, I come from Northern England, mm. so I just say I work on the computers and that is what <laughs> I say. But then, but um, well, then, what we typically say is we we build the stuff that helps people build all the software that you use. So we're there building the you know the platform, the the framework yeah. by which everybody else can then use to go build software. So and as we talked about, um, we're at the Universe Conference now. Um, everything from You know, from day to day, I used to have a real job, so day to day, like insurance company systems, whatever, all the way through to uh, building Stagecraft, which is how they make the Mandalorian, through to building the data processing pipeline for the James Webb Space Telescope. Like, these are all people we met today and got to see them using GitHub and open source to go build all that stuff. That's awesome. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So,
0: The question I, 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 one of the questions that many people have asked me to ask you, okay, um, has been, how did you get to where you are now, at at GitHub or in DevRel?
1: Right. So I um, started off as a, a, say, I had a real job. I was a proper developer. (laughs) Um, I actually wrote code. Um, Lots of I did lots of consulting originally, um, and that was great because it kind of helped you tune into a customer's language really quickly and. Learn what their problem set was, repeat their problem set back to them and then figure out how to solve their problems. But it allowed you to tune into that super quick. So that was actually really good. I didn't know it at the time. That was a really good kind of Uh, You know, sort of early formative experiences for me, really. When I when I came out of like programming, I I I originally started on the mainframe. That's how old I am, (laughs) doing like year two thousand fixes and stuff like that. Did some websites and all that sort of stuff. Then um, did a got involved in open source. So when I was consulting, if I was on a .NET gig, I would do Java open source at home to Mm. kind of keep my skills up. Mm. And then if I was doing a java gig i would do some .net, you know do it the other way around sort of thing so right. if i got paid for java i would do dot net at home if i was doing net for work i would get i would do java at home to as open and just do some open source projects and some open source contribution right and one particular open source thing i was working on this happened to be in the eclipse space and in the java space did that and we, we announced that we were doing this this project um as an open source project mm-hmm. and the next week we were in dr dobbs this was when dr dobbs was like a magazine you know it's like i'm not sure that is <laughs> okay it was like a big trade thing okay. you know what I mean but it's like it was like it's like being in the new york times or oh, like wow. tech press you know and i was like wow okay and then we kept getting phone calls from people like from banks and things saying hey can we buy this and so me and a few friends were like hey you know let's make a company around this instead wow. so we set up a company in 2005 to work on this it's basically just an Eclipse plugin but we were we set up um, a company in 2005 to do that. then we um, ended up being successful and we ended up being bought by Microsoft in 2009 ah. um, and so then there was like five of us you know went in to go get bought by Microsoft, we, we would turn up to meetings and there'd be like more people taking notes for the lawyers than <laughs> there were in our company, you know, yeah. so we, would t- we we got bought by them, and but as part of that, we were the first time because, um, you know, Eclipse is like LGPL license, well no it's Eclipse EPL license, mm. but then some of the components we were using and some of that sort of stuff was all different open source licenses and Microsoft really didn't know how to do that back then, Right. so as part of the acquisition and then me being a product pm for i I became a pm because when i interviewed at microsoft they realized i i couldn't code very well uh, but i could talk to people and so um they made me a pm went in there i was trying to figure out how to ship stuff in microsoft with all this open source in it and it was so hard like so hard to ship things but it was even harder to contribute back to open source Mm. i had a 18 byte fix to eclipse that I wanted to contribute to make Eclipse work better on Mm. 64-bit Windows. Like, that's a no-brainer that we should contribute that because it makes Eclipse work better on Windows. Like, why wouldn't Microsoft contribute that? I had to, at the time, I had to go through like this approval process and I had a 10X like number of names on the two line than there were bytes in the fix of the <laughs> thing I was trying to fix. But I didn't give up. Yeah. And I went and I did it and I was like, okay, we need to make this easier, we need to make this better. And so right. did that. And then came to GitHub when we did the GitHub acquisition, a dream job. And then um, by that time, I'd kind of moved from just doing PM and PMing products and talking to people about products to talking about the wider thing. And then when I came over to GitHub, it was I'd kind of been doing some community work, but it was like, well, GitHub didn't really have a devrel team to speak of. And um, at the time, like a couple, two or three years ago. GitHub was cool, everybody loved GitHub, but there were lots of people who had frustrations with GitHub, yeah. and they didn't feel like GitHub was listening. It felt quite googly. it didn't feel like oh. people were, there was no human face to GitHub. Yeah. And so my goal was to put the human face to GitHub, to try and make it so we had enough connections and enough things into the community. So if you were a maintainer and you were stuck, if you're a developer and you're stuck and you're getting frustrated, you know someone. You know somebody you right. can go to who can help you, and we can listen, and we can connect you to the engineering teams who can hear you, and then you can feel you can feel you're being fixed, and then we can fix the product for you, and right. we can all those fixes out. So that's how I made it into DevRel. Long story. So
0: when did DevRel start at GitHub?
1: Well, there's been different incarnations. See, when 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 GitHub originally started, it was small, and it was such a You've met the people at GitHub. You're here. Yeah. Everybody at GitHub is so open, so welcoming, so friendly yeah. that they didn't really need a dedicated GitHub because ev- a de- dedicated DevRel at GitHub because right. everybody at GitHub it's kind was of just doing DevRel. Everybody did it. But then as a company grows, and it's, right. you often find this when you grow by an order and a 10x magnitude growth, you often find you need completely different processes right. to work. Um, as GitHub was growing, DevRel started becoming a thing, and, and developer experience started so become a thing that no one person was responsible for. Right. Yeah. And so it was because of that that things started falling through the gaps. Right. So really, there was a little devrel team, like kind of doing some stuff, but it was mostly focused on like the API side and things. Mm. And so devrel, as you think of it, as we think of it as an industry, it was yeah, it was only like three years ago, really. Yeah. But it's because everybody in the company was doing devrel; they just didn't know it. You that's know? interesting. Yeah. yeah. That's very interesting. Um,
0: Yeah, it's interesting how a lot of, I've heard from a lot of different people how DevRel gets started at their companies and it's always really interesting to hear like what's the sort of like inflection or the tipping point where it's like, okay, we should do this as like, we should treat this as its own thing and
1: make it real. Um, they had developer programs like API programs, which is yeah. oftentimes how people start a devrel team yeah. in like in, in you know real in the real world. Yeah. But as I say, and GitHub had all those things and was doing okay. Yeah. But what they didn't, what they weren't doing, was listening to their community. It's huge and and engaging that community and making GitHub better. And we GitHub. We should just do that. Like yeah. it's crazy that we weren't, but it had just fallen through the gaps. So. Yeah. so we went and did it, and it's great. I love yeah. it, and it's like literally the best job in the world. You know. And in DevRel, it's like I don't know any. I don't, I don't know of another DevRel job I'd rather do. Like it's just amazing. So I'm very, very, very privileged. And got um, because of the company, because of what we're doing you know able to hire a a fantastic team of people as well and they're just amazing people and yeah it's just lovely and the whole company wants to get involved so it's not like the DevRel team itself is pretty small but then you know if if we want to go do an event or if we want to go do some stuff you just post in our slack channel and you know five seconds later you've got a hundred volunteers so you know it's it's because people just love talking to developers they just needed somebody to help organize them so that's what i do that's awesome yeah
0: this is changing topics okay. a little bit. Yeah.
1: What gets you
0: excited
1: about the future? It could be anything. It could mm-hmm. be... Um, I. The reason I'm at GitHub and the reason I do what I do is because um, we get to make just this huge impact on people's lives. Like I, I'm... You know, incredibly privileged but even uh, i you know white dude in tech and you know that's yeah. fine i'm very middle class now and everything but i didn't like my family were reason you know weren't i don't it's not like i had a rich family or anything like that i took my first job in tech i was going to be a physics teacher but instead of doing teaching i kind of sold out to the man because i was like hang on a minute i've been programming since i was six if i went and like did this for a living that first job, I could earn more than my family have ever earned in their entire lives. Like wow. I was the first one to go to university, you know what I mean. So yeah. I can earn more than they've ever earned in their entire lives. Yes. That's amazing. And so what? I, and then I see that now here at GitHub, like I can create opportunities that allow kids from different areas, you know, within the U.S., from all sorts of different backgrounds, social, economic backgrounds, racial right. backgrounds. I can help people in. Um, Uganda, I can help people in Nigeria, I can help people in India, I can help yeah. people in Thailand, like all these people and create opportunities for them that they can latch onto right. and then better their lives and the lives of people around them and that that's what gets me out of bed. That's I'm awesome. Honest. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I saw a few of the
0: talks here at GitHub Universe of the uh, like code spaces yeah. for education yeah. and there was, I think I saw a slide uh what was it two hundred and forty thousand like students were using code spaces by one particular professor or something Yeah, that's
1: David Mallon. he's here. yeah. um so the cs fifty class mm-hmm. my my eldest has just started. And my oldest kid I'm, I'm again i'm old so my my <laughs> kids are now leaving home and things and um my eldest kid is actually doing computer science ah. and but he was trying to figure out what he was going to be interested in originally wanted to be an architect originally wanted to be like uh and to go to medicine and things like that and then um and he started getting, he started like hacking around with computers and things. Yeah. And he did sort of some cybersecurity training that he really enjoyed. Ah. And I was like, "Why don't you just sit this?" He's like, "Oh, no, I can't. That's Harvard. Like, I can't. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> smart Just take this CS50 class. See what you think." And it's all online. All the materials are online. Yeah. But even better, so you can take the introduction to CS class that you would pay, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to go take at Harvard. You can right. anyone in the world can take right. that. Because of open source. Right. And because of awesome people like David Malm that actually do that work to make it happen. And then we partnered with them to make it so if you're taking the CS50 class anywhere in the world, not just at Harvard, if you're taking it anywhere in the world, you can get a code space. Oh, and really? you, can, you can use that as a development machine right. to go do the CS50 class and submit your results and things. Oh. And so then that means that, you know, even if you've got. Like not the best machine in the world, you know. You're not using top of the range MacBook. Maybe you're using like a second hand yeah. Chromebook that you picked up somewhere. Yeah. You can still access the best hardware in the world. You can pick the region you want that code space to be created. Oh, cool. So you can, if you want, if you want the region by default, it pick the region nearest you. Yeah. You know, and so you've got minimal latency. But if you want to like pick a machine in the west coast of the u s you can do that. like you can be anywhere in the right. world working right and then the the key thing, the main announcement of the whole conference to me this week, is that we're now giving code spaces away for free to people on the normal free plan, yeah. plan. so you get sixty right like, it's a hundred and twenty core hours of compute, but the smallest machine you can get is a two core machine. I see so you get sixty hours of compute for free, yeah. Everybody does. Yeah. Not You don't have to be signed up as a student. Anybody can get that. So you can now, if now, if you want to go hack around on the open source framework or if you want to go and like play with some technology, you want to go learn something, you can do that. Yeah. Now, you can also, we also did a, we're doing a feature preview of GPU support. So say if you have a, a fancy MacBook Air like you've got in front of you there, but it doesn't have a great GPU in there. Right. I don't think it's an M1. Yeah, so it doesn't run stable diffusion and things, but you can go grab a GPU machine from us, do some AI stuff with stable yeah. diffusion or whatever you need with a GPU for, and then yeah, it it, it burns through those credits a lot quicker because <laughs> uh, we don't have many GPUs. Right. But, um, but it doesn't burn your legs. It doesn't burn your legs. It doesn't <laughs> burn your wallet. You yeah. Know? So you can give it a go. And then you can, um, you know, but it's only the time you're using that machine that actually the minutes clock. It's not when it's idle. Yeah, it's not at all when it's idle. It's just when you're using it, because it's all container-based. Right. So you fire it up, it, it hydrates the container. So you know that black box that pops up when you're doing Welcome to Code Spaces. Mm-hmm. That's it hydrating the container into yeah. like the Kubernetes cluster that it runs in. Right. And then it runs the container, and then like the minute you step away, yeah. it shuts it back down again, and then rehydrates it back in. And so it's doing that all the time, yeah. and then moving it around data centers. Like the tech behind it is right. crazy. But, that sixty hours a month that you get, you'll be amazed. You'll be disappointed at how good that is in terms of like supporting you, like playing with things. Because it's amazing how much real development time you end up doing. You know, right. mostly you're like looking stuff up, you're doing some stuff, or you're like you know checking <laughs> Slack, or whatever. Going to a meeting. Go to mean filling out your time card, saying what you've been doing yeah. all day. know. your vacation. Yeah. You know <laughs> <Yeah.
0: laughs> you what's know, uh, really cool, and I-, I pitched this to somebody yeah. the other day. Was I always thought be cool to be <laughs> this is gonna sound ridiculous, but sort of like James Bond. Right. So when James Bond travels, Hello, he doesn't sh- travel with anything. Sh- buddy, buddy. Hello, yeah. <laughs> he travels with nothing. Yeah. He shows up and he's got everything yeah. he needs everywhere he goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought it would be kind of a cool um and it was at a happy hour last night, it would be kind of a cool like video yeah. to do like you can do that, not necessarily with your clothes, but with your code space. Yeah,
1: no, well do you wanna hear a true story? Yeah. Well so- no yeah of course (laughs) (laughs) so i um i live in northern ireland i live in um uh, just outside of belfast and um so i'm you know traveling around quite a bit and stuff but one of my mates was like hey can you come and do a talk for us and in their company, you know. Um, I was like, yeah, sure, that'd be great. And so I'd been somewhere else, and then I realized I'd left my big bag of dongles at home, because you need your big bag of dongles. Yes. So I I got my laptop and I went home, and I grabbed my big bag of dongles, got the dongle I needed, got back in the car, drove down to meet them for lunch, and I was gonna do their their brown bag. Got there, realized that when I picked up my big bag of dongles, I dropped my bag with my laptop in it at home and left it there. Oh. So I'd arrived with my bag of dongles and no laptop. (laughs) And so I'm like, huh. So then I went in. I said, I was thinking I was going to bring my laptop, but I'm guessing, you know, you're a bank. I'm guessing I'm probably not going to get on your network and be able to get on the Internet and stuff, am I? And they're like, no, no, sorry. (laughs) I was like... It's okay, don't worry. Fire up a computer for me, plug it in, I'm good to go, and just did it all in a code space. That's awesome. And yeah, just rocked it. Especially, with, did you see um, in the DevRel side, mm-hmm. did you see we've got this uh, code space templates? Yes, that? I saw that. So that's a repo less code space. So you can set up a template repo. Uh-huh. and then say if you want a code space make it like this and you hit it and they get one they get one in their client account that's that, uh-huh. that it's not in the repo it's like in their account right and then if they want to they can push the contents of that code space to their own repo right. but they don't have to right. so if you're doing workshops or if you're doing training things oh. that they're ama- and you just create a template repo yeah. have the environment set up exactly as you right. want and then they come in and they just go, yeah, right, this is the spacer one. Right, Off they go. And then after the class, they can decide if that gets trashed or if they actually save it or whatever. Right. It's just great. And that they get great. 60 hours. So they, yeah. like, for most people, they're not going to run out of time. So right. you actually run quite a few workshops and things using Right. That. Even for, like, education.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you get, like, usually you get, like, really crappy computers yeah. in schools. Because yeah. they're, like, underfund- underfunded and whatever. Yeah. But... The teacher could say like, you know, here's the like the like everyone use this template and then boom.
1: Yeah, exactly. Or how many times have you done like a public workshop? And yeah, you, you come in and you spend like the first like it's a three-hour workshop set up. and you spend the first hour and a half. And then somebody's not got their machine set up. Fifteen seconds, everybody's up and running. Yeah, it's amazing. I I think it's really cool. I also yeah.
0: I wrote a blog post and there's a few other people that were doing this in the past where they and this is like the second generation iPad or mm-hmm, what, mm-hmm. whatever it was with LT. I think it had LTE. Yeah. Um. And then you could just like work wherever you are. You just had like a Bluetooth keyboard, yeah. your iPad, and then amazing battery. This is before the M1 Max yeah. came out. Amazing battery life. Um. And it was actually like really really cool because like, you're on an airplane, it disconnects. That's okay. Your stuff is still doing its yeah. thing. Um. You don't have to worry about any of that. You drop your iPad. I don't know. You lose it. Luggage yeah. gets lost. Whatever. You you could pick up anywhere. Yeah. I, I think that's amazing.
1: Now the um, iPad support kind of works for code spaces. It's mm-hmm. not a hundred percent because Safari in on the iPad, like it there's certain key combos it won't let us capture. Ah. so we're actually we we're funny enough we chatting about this this week about like should we like enable that within the mobile app or something? Or oh. so because then we would be able to get around those restrictions. But right now it's like it's good, you can code. Right. But say if you wanted to do I don't know, there's certain like bizarro combinations yeah. like Control W or like f- or some of the function key, but only right. a few of them. It, it right. don't let you capture because on Safari on iOS. Yeah, so it's yeah. Like, oh, so yeah. anyway, we will get there. It's good, It's but it's usable for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like the setup I had before was uh, it
0: was very complex because I would I'd run um, like a v, like a DigitalOcean VPS. Yeah, and then I would use Mosh because Mosh had zero latency. And it would like replay the keystrokes behind the scenes, and it would do automatic reconnection. So instead of SSH, you'd use Mosh, and then it became very complex. Because then I was like, well, I don't really have a native editor. Yeah. So okay, so I have to like get better at Vim. Yeah. Get better at Vim, never a guru. Yeah. um, That's that's one of those things about Vim, I guess. Yeah. Um, And then like Tmux and all this stuff, and then it became like really complicated, and like one thing would break, and then
1: boom, it's like,
0: ah, now I got to spend a whole bunch of time reconfiguring everything. Yeah. Um,
1: One of the things we announced this, this week as well Right, Codespaces right now you think of as like the web-based VS Code experience, right. but actually you can you can connect to it from VS Code on the desktop, which is cool, mm-hmm. but then you can also now, we've announced, connect to it from IntelliJ yes. on the desktop, or you can just get a command line. If you want to do your SSH with Tmux binding and all that stuff, you can have a Codespace yeah. and not have Um, you know VS code behind it or anything like that you just have connected into the container so it's like we're really trying to make it oh and we also announced like Jupiter Hub as well Jupiter Lab support so you can fire up Jupiter Lab like the real Jupiter Lab Inside of a code space and uh, just yeah. run it and go do go for your books and everything. It's great. Yeah, I, I this was actually one of the most surprising things
0: I saw and I didn't yeah. I didn't know it was coming until I got here. Yeah, was the ability to do it in IntelliJ. Yeah, I thought that was amazing because yeah. I, I I can tell you you know, at least at work we have tons of microservices we have tons of containers that are running and all that stuff and it will burn your laptop. Yeah, It'll crush your battery and all that. Um, and then when you switch networks, sometimes Docker gets confused yeah. and, and things happen. And then, you know,
1: well, you start like in lot... a bank, even trying to have Docker running because it needs all those ports open and stuff. Oh. It's so hard for yeah. like people in lockdown environments to actually oh. even do container-based development. Interesting. Yeah, but fire up in the code space, like yeah. all that stuff. And the security team are happy because you can actually, especially with code spaces for organizations, right. you can set it up so those, um, Those machines appear like they're on your network, like they're in IP ranges and all that sort of stuff. Oh, like it's it's magical. So like it works for like those sorts of highly controlled environments as well as some. You know, somebody going along to, to a workshop on a weekend, yeah. wanting to try out this latest framework, doesn't want to mess up their environments with a bunch of prerequisites. Just takes going off, they go. It's wow. revolutionary, and that yeah, I mean, in terms of like giving people these opportunities and right. getting them into tech, yeah, it's just amazing. Well,
0: one of the, one of the things I do at work is engineering onboarding. And oh wow! When I saw the Dude, IntelliJ yeah. thing, yeah, I was like, right. I, oh. I have an
1: employee joining next week yeah. on Monday, and I'm like, I have
0: to try this.
1: This is Why we? So we use Code Spaces to build GitHub. Yeah. And we got our, um, that, and that's why you've seen a bunch of the features you see now, mm-hmm. because um, we had a like this pie in the sky thing um, that we were like, right, by the time a hubber starts on their first day, by the time they leave on their first, leave being, you know, when the time they join Zoom or whatever, by the time they leave on their first day, right. they should have code running in production, like with customers, right. that's the goal. First day, zero day, you know, zero day onboarding, right. basically one day onboarding. And then, right. But if you, you know, you've worked in like had real jobs. Setting up like a, um, it takes me forty five minutes just to clone the source code for GitHub onto my <laughs> machine. From wow! My, and I have got a fast internet connection. At yeah, home. I'm on Starlink and stuff. Right. So, um, Code I can actually have a machine stood up fully hydrated with source code, right? running all of the Ruby prerequisites, running all the web stuff. And the have right a, Ruby version. Yeah. <laughs> in under 15 seconds. Yeah. And then I hit play, and then like, you know, 20 seconds later. That's awesome. I have a local instance of GitHub that I can connect to from my local instance of VS Code. I can do localhost comma, you know, colon 3000 or whatever. Right. I'm connected to my own instance yeah. of GitHub. Yeah. In, like 30 seconds a minute yeah. rather than four weeks or yeah. whatever on but like trying to order a laptop right now jeez how long there does that was, take
0: there was a time when um it, so docker for mac is significantly better now mm. on m1 than it ever was on intel it was incredibly is it slow on m1? i haven't tried it oh, on it m1 so yet. much better really yeah okay the problem i and this is i was a really early user beta user i think yeah. of Code spaces and so what I was able to do was I was I had a whole Docker con, um, Compose setup. Yeah, yeah. You know, database, I think two services, a Redis, a, I don't know, whatever else was in there. Yeah. And doing that on my local computer, I would make a change, hit save. And this wasn't a compiled language or anything. Yeah. It would take longer than if it was a compiled language. Yeah. So doing it in the code space, because it's native on Linux, like, yeah. the containers, it was so fast. I was like, how I was, I was I'll do amazing. it any other way? Like, yeah. can't do it any
1: other way. So I knew. I, I remember we would we I think we were chatting around then, you're like, Dude, Docker Compose works. Yeah, <laughs> it like, yeah, yeah. works. And you are, like, how does it work? Yeah, yeah, it's really cool.
0: It's really cool. Um, okay, I don't even know what my where, where we are in my yeah, notes yeah, yeah. here. Um, yeah. Oh, this is a good one. I know I've chatted with you about this before. This yeah. is an interesting topic, and I think a lot of companies are either doing it right, they're doing it wrong, or they don't know how to do it, so they're okay. trying whatever they can. Right. How do you measure developer productivity?
1: In for, at GitHub. Yeah. So, yeah, one of the things that we do is we, um, we're looking at the cycle times. So it's, like, broadly speaking, it's right. idea to data is the thing that we're trying to track. So how long do we go from having the idea to then getting the idea in the, in the board, um, you know, looping around a bit, developing it, taking it from the board, deploying it, then, ha- then getting data back from our telemetry systems to say if that hypothesis is true or false. You know, it, it, we've, 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 our idea works or not. Right. And so, that, that broadly, we're looking at idea to data. And then, within that, we try and break it down into different parts of that inner loop. And so, um, yeah, it's all about making that as fast as possible, the iteration time as fast as possible. Okay. So. Uh, sorry, Elon. We're not measuring lines of code that, that <laughs> developers, because if you delete 2,000 lines of code a day and you've added three features, that was the best day of your entire life as a developer. Yeah. So we assume that our developers are going to be doing the right things. Um. So we we are focused on well develop um yeah in, in idea to data I two D which is obviously you've got to have a TLA for everything. Yeah. And then um, the other thing that we look at is actually I know it sounds dumb, but developer happiness. Call Co- okay. us crazy. Uh-huh. We actually you can't measure. You have to measure that with surveys and stuff like you can't right. you can use um, technical factors to kind of predict what developer happiness is going to be but um, we we do surveys so we, we ask our developers like are you happy but no we ask them in. You know, we ask them like do an NPS and all that sort yeah. of stuff and ask it more programmatically okay. but broadly speaking we're what sucks what's not with code spaces when we were rolling code spaces out internally we actually looked at people using code spaces looked what adoption was The people that stopped using Codespaces, when you stopped, our only deal with you for being able to be an early adopter of Codespaces was that if you decided not to use it for your day to day, we would send you an email and you would tell us why you decided. Um, We're not forcing you to use it. We're saying use it please, here you go, you've got access. But if you choose not to, just tell us why. Right. And then we would use that data to make it better. And then we would come back to you say, OK, we fixed that thing you were complaining about. Can you give it another go for us, please? Yeah. And so, again, it's not about putting friction in the way. Yeah. It's about how can we make the lives of the developers building GitHub better and faster and things. So that's how we measure it. I don't know that's if that's the way we should do it. but yeah. I don't know. I think it's interesting. Yeah. Um, Everyone does it differently. So, you yeah,
0: know. I think it's, it's a hot topic. Yeah. Um,
1: and people are talking about all sorts of different types of metrics. There's mm-hmm. like Dora metrics, and there's there's all the, sorts and this of is stuff. all the idea today. Stuff is very much inspired by Dora, right? Because again, it's all about the you know the inner loops and the productivity and all that sort of stuff. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we have other ones we do as well because it's all part of that idea today to think: How long does it take you to get a review on a PR? Um, oh. you know when a PR's um, when a PR's how long does it take the checks to run? Yeah, um, because um well the because we automate a lot of the checks you know when you run thousands, thousands of tests because it turns out humans are really really bad <laughs> at finding bugs but humans are great at saying well why did you do it this way rather than that way right and so we, the goal is that a pr doesn't get looked at by a human until all the tests have passed kind of thing because but we want those tests to pass with a very quick turnaround right cuz again you've submitted a pr if you have to drop that PR and go work on something else and then come back to it, you've got to do all the context switching. This is an awful experience. Terrible. So we want those PRs to complete as quickly as possible, like maximum 10 minutes, but you know, as quickly as possible. Right. And so we spend a lot of that time in those in those inner loops. Like, you know, so idea today just isn't just one number, it's like made up of lots of different steps of a number and, and, and yeah, PR like check time and then time it takes to go from <laughs> Uh, your PR being ready to merge to actually being in production. like w- When GitHub was founded and for a long time, you would actually, um, it, the PR didn't get merged into main until it was running in production. Like, yeah, so it doesn't get moved into main first and then deployed. Interesting. It used the push to production and the telemetry from it running in production to verify if it should go into main or not. Not to dirty up like the main branch, yeah, because you didn't know if you're gonna to have to roll it back or whatever, and so that was cool. Huh. And it works, problem is, it doesn't scale. Works for a company of a couple of hundred, but and um, in the right now, there's a session going on, so I can say this number we deploy like, 80,000 times uh, a year, you know what oh. I mean, <laughs> and so that's a few hundred times a day, like on an average work day, yeah. We used to get these queues, these deployment queues building up, and so we basically Figured out how to shrink that down and actually, you know, go back to actually merging to main and then mm-hmm. deploying, um, and then we we de- we have like deployment trains that run, right. and so we um, you you group up all the pull requests that are wanting to go into production, group them all together, they then get deployed, and then if anything happens during that particular deployment, right. then like roll them back but then go through them one by one and then until it gets to the one that's not working then page that team and say hey code's not working come and fix it right and so that way because um, the vast majority of time of those 80 whatever how many hundreds of thousands of deployments we're doing 99 percent of them are just great because you know it's worked but you only get one or two that go bad and so we're kind of optimizing for the it'll work kind of thing just like during i'm going ranting on a bit just like during covid when one of when they were trying to speed up COVID testing Mm -hmm. what they did was Mm -hmm. they put those nasal swabs they put like four of them or five of them together in a test kit swallowed them up and then tested them because if that was a success then all five were negative but on the minority case where there was a positive they just have two swabs so if you put a thing in a group of five or ten or whatever one of them was Caused a positive result, right? So then you test them one by one until you get to the one that is the one that causes the problem.
0: I'm sure there's an algorithm for that.
1: There is. Is would be a name for it? There's probably. <laughs> it's probably. Uh, the there's probably a exam on the Google kind uh, of developer yeah. thing. But yeah,
0: I don't think my boss listens. To this. Yeah, yeah. We're good. Remote work. Okay. Okay. This one's interesting. I have spent a lot of my career working remotely. Um, the last, the, the company I'm currently at, Eight by Eight. When I joined, it was going to the office every day. Yeah. And then COVID and all of that's changed, and so it's back to working remotely. And we have an office, not really. People mm-hmm. don't really go in, but sometimes people do. I'm curious. Um, so, like a lot of people now, because of COVID, have been trying to figure it out. They're still figuring it out. I'm curious what your thoughts are on
1: remote work and the future of remote work. I've spent the past 18 years of my life working remote. Okay. So um, I I did that gig in a startup. Um, we were all remote because we, we were five people. We didn't need an office. And then um, then when we got bought by Microsoft, the people in the U.S. moved towards an office in Microsoft. And then because I was some random dude in a field in Northern Ireland, they were like, well, he makes it work. Let's leave him there for now, and then we'll figure it out later kind of <laughs> thing. And then I had to kind of f- make my way in this big Microsoft company that wasn't used to remote work as a remote worker. And that's one of the reasons I got into the community in the Devrel side. Yeah. Because being outside of that bubble, especially in these big tech companies that are like, you know, everybody gets on the bus in the morning together, you know, yep. so, yeah. Um being outside of that bubble was actually a help for me because I was able to bring the outside perspective in mm. when I, this is again, I've been there. I was there a long time. I didn't see Windows phones in the wild, you know. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't see everybody around me checking their messages on Windows I mean, phone in the morning. D- did a lot of people see Windows phones <laughs> in the wild? <laughs> they did when you are on the connect to driving to Microsoft. Every okay, day. yeah, true. Okay, you know what I mean. And that's the thing. actually in Europe, it was it was it, it was good and whatever, whatever. But um, but I didn't, you know. I I just understood what the real world was like. Right. And so actually, I was able to use it to help me and, and like tr- I try to find opportunities that meant I was. I was successful because I was remote rather than successful despite being remote. Right. And then there's tricks you can use, like you need to learn to go outside, you need to be learn to be disciplined, Ideally, if you can afford it and you're privileged enough, you can have an office space so that you can shut the door on it. Because what people don't realize is it's not how to, it's not working from home that's the problem, it's not working when you're office at home that's the problem. And so learning how to shut that door, learning how to not do anything at the weekends, all that sort of stuff was like a process that I had to go through. It took me years to figure out, you know. And it take everybody their own time. And people, yeah, and we went through that. And you know, you you get, you figure it out. I will say, though, to people that are new to this life, Mm -hmm. there is a big, big, big difference between working remote and surviving a pandemic while working remote. Mm. And I don't want people to, like, you're here now, we're meeting people. Mm -hmm. I would use, again, another reason I got into DevRel was because I would use conferences and use things like that. I would find excuses to go talk at places because that was how I got to see people and got that the human uh, side I needed. Yeah. Um, and you need that, like that. Being remote doesn't mean never talking to your colleagues and friends and <laughs> never seeing humans, never experiencing a hug, you know what right. I mean? It's like, that, that, that's surviving a pandemic. Remote work is about you get the focus time, you get the concentration time, you don't get any of the commute. Right. You're able to pick up packages, you're able to have more flexible working hours. Yeah. all those good things um but it does come with some like trade-offs you know you you find that your personal life tends to get interrupted more because it's easier to go back and do it you know you find it sometimes harder to to protect your time um so yes yeah, so that that's, I, it's here to stay for sure 75 percent of github before the pandemic worked remote anyway ah. and i definitely noticed the culture change between say Microsoft and github in terms of being able to um contribute you know in terms of the support I got as being a remote employee. Right, you know? so yeah.
0: Oh, interesting. Um, I find it also helps with communication. Yeah. You have to be a much, I think the people who are very successful working remotely are very good communicators.
1: Yeah, and you have to learn how to do async, like working remote's easy, time zones suck. Yeah. And so it's learning how to do asynchronous work and things like that is yeah. definitely things. But yeah, you're right. And you need to, ha- you need to be this, like there are people who just remote work isn't suitable for them there are people who like office work just isn't suitable i think to make it work again what's quite common in devrel is you find people are kind of very kind of extroverted introverts so they can switch it on but it's yeah. not their natural state yeah. often and um that's what you, i think that's how you can be successful at remote because you thrive you get energy from doing that focus work that you can do on your own but then you still get the opportunities to go out and talk and communicate and, and do all those sorts of things. So, yeah. yeah. I think they call that, um, there's Ambervert? I think that's what it ambivert, is. embervert.: yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember someone sent me the article, and I was like, right, oh, this resonates. This is me.
0: I think this is me.
1: You find My that a white... lot in the DevRel Spide, though. You really do. Like most people like that, they're all a little bit strange. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, it's because it's you have to do it. Right? Yeah. You need to, if you weren't able to just focus, how on earth are you going to learn the stuff to talk about it? I have no idea. Yeah. I've always
0: wondered how people do it when they're in meetings all day long, how they can how they get anything done. You can't. That's yeah. the trick
1: is not be in meetings all day long. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, and that's the best thing about being remote, especially in time zones. I have the best experience in I have the best excuse in the world for saying no to like most of my meetings. It's three AM. I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So and they feel guilty about even asking me. Yeah. And so I just you know, so I have my mor- I have my mornings typically where I like focus on stuff and then my afternoons is where I do all my meetings and things yeah. like that. So yeah. That good. is a
0: bit of a blessing. It is great. Um okay. Uh managing people.
1: Mm-hmm. Tips? <laughs> where, where do we start? <laughs> um Wow. Okay. So uh, model coach care okay. is the main is probably my mantra. So mm. Um so I look after like 60-ish people now uh, in my area. Um, that's split between kind of. So in GitHub, um, under the docs team under the Devrel team is um, Docs is there, and then Docs would be split with like uh, Docs engineering, um, the content writers, and then Docs sort of PM and content design. Uh, so that's how we split docs up and then like the traditional more like the dev rally typey things you'd see so developer advocacy and then we have a separate developer programs team because it turns out that the kind of people that are good, like you've seen them up on stage, Mm -hmm. kind of people that are good up on stage hosting and things and doing talks and all that sort of stuff tend to not be as good at systematic thinkers and stuff and like as good at like doing programmatic side. And the programmatic people who are amazing at building communities and amazing at building those sorts of things often aren't as good up on stage. Mm -hmm. And so there are people who can do both just great, but often you find like it's slightly different kind of character types. So we have a developer programs team as well that looks after the stars program, looks after all that sort of stuff and maintainers and that sort of thing. And then finally we have a um, um, like regional expansion team because we have like places like India, places like Brazil that are very, very, very high growth, open source right now. Mm -hmm. We want to have people there locally. Mm but we can't have a great big team and so we hire like a unicorn person that can do both of those sorts of things and can build community and can go out and do those sorts of stuff. so anyway managing people model coach care model the behaviors that you want your team to you want your team to um do mm-hmm. um, that includes forcing yourself to not work when you're on vacation <laughs> that includes you know what i mean in this yes. serious incle yes. um, all of it st- it is yeah um especially if you're blocking people and things like that but you've got to you've got to model so and and then it's also the excellent side as well like the level of detail that you expect from your team right if you yourself are not showing that same level of focus on the details if you're not you know if you don't do, bring that quality to your own work right. what right do you to ask that of others so model coach so when somebody is um you know, you're trying to get them to build behaviors. Everyone's at different levels. At best, The best teams you've got, you've got people at every level within your team right. because the most senior people grow by mentoring the more junior people. And so um, you constantly want to be coaching, and giving feedback and helping people get better. Mm-hmm. But do it in a way that's coaching, not telling. Right. And do it in a way that is um, um, taking them where they are and moving them up a notch on that ladder, mm-hmm. not just blowing the minds of a bunch of stuff. So Right. Yep. And then finally care, you've got to obviously have a high degree of empathy. You've got to like relate to your people as people. You've got to build those relationships to build loyalty and all that sort of stuff. And there's no good if you if and it's a balance between those three things. If you do one of them and don't do the other two mm-hmm. then you can end up too bad. Like if you're just if you just care You can be ruinously empathetic because then you're not giving people the feedback that they need to get better because you don't really want to have that hard. Or they work so hard on that talk. Like, I feel bad for them. I don't want to tell them that was terrible or whatever. Um, you know, I'm just giving them a pat on the back and thinks. no, that's not what they need right now. They, they need, okay, never mind, suck it up. It, you know, yeah, wh- wh- why did, you know, tell me more. Tell me more, why you don't think this went great. Right. How can we do it better? Yeah. Right, okay, let's, let's see how we make that better. But equally, if that person is going through some stuff, like life happens, Yes. Um, tell them to, hey, like I've done this recently, like, hey, no, <laughs> switch off. I'm gonna take that from you, go home, rest, right. we have got this, you've got a team, like, in DevRel, especially as remote, it's very easy to figure you've got a team. Right. You have a team, like, let us help you, because you would do the same for us if we were in your position. Go, go take some rest, come back when you're rested, and you're good to go. So, yeah, model coach care. I like that. That's cool. really good. Um Okay. How do you...
0: How do you, okay. Speaking of, of, of employees and other yeah, developers, yeah. whether this is in, internal or external, yeah. how do you keep them motivated?
1: Um, I I just use I I try and just be myself and like use my enthusiasm for technology <laughs> and for stuff, yeah. um, and try and help them understand the impact of what it is that they're doing. It's very easy to focus on the things that you could have done better. right? And I want people to see the difference of the stuff that they've made. Ah. And then how much more we can do. Um, And then hire people that are like motivated. And you know, you you try and hire hire people that are different, but you also want people who believe in the vision Mm -hmm. um, and believe in like, you talk to anybody around GitHub; they they just all want to make the world a better place. They all want to like make development better. Like that's the kind of people we're after. Yeah. Skills you can teach, yeah. um, technologies you can teach, but that core belief in wanting to make the world a better place right. and use our skills as software developers to make that world a better place—that you can't really teach. People have got to believe in that, and so mm-hmm. that's what that's kind of what we do. So, combination of hiring correct, you know, good people inspiring them, like giving them exciting things to do, and then finding them the resources to do the things that can like make their passion. So, you know, we do some crazy stuff here at GitHub, like you've been around here at Universe. You see the crazy like Hubot machine that will give you like responses. You see the stable diffusion demo. They're all like really kind of hobby projects from the one or two people that stood around that thing but they, they feel very inspired now having been able to turn that around and deliver it. And that wasn't that much work for each individual person, but it's given them the resources to do that and to be able to do the very, like, we're GitHub. Like, if we can't do the very, very, very best developer relations work of the world, if we're not constantly pushing those boundaries, then who, why are we not? Like, who, yeah. you know, we're GitHub. We should be able to do that. <laughs> and so that's, it's like giving people that, that... um vision of where you wanna be, giving them the resources to be able to do it, and then just helping them believe in themselves. Yeah. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, and the Hubot thing, by the way, is really cool. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I had so much fun with that yesterday. Great. That was so much fun. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. For the, for the people who don't know what the Hubot thing is, um, it's like a, I'll post a video in the, the show notes, but it's a, uh, it looks like a vending machine with a giant screen on it, and you enter in your GitHub username, and you hit enter, And then it finds something interesting about you using the GitHub API, Mm -hmm. and then it spits out a little prize. Yeah, Um, really, really fun. Uh, Nice touch. And
1: and again, that's not you know it was it was based on it was inspired by like Zoltar in like Mm -hmm. Big. And, um, and that's kind of the inspiration for it but then the artwork and that was like a hobby project but then like people helped out with some of the artwork we had some of it kind of similar but then it needed animated and blah 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 and then you know it's but behind it it's you know like raspberry pi sort of thing that's just running it it's like not much there Yeah. but and it's a few videos that we've animated together and some synthesized voice and yeah, yeah. but it's, it's it's fun it's really fun yeah, yeah and awesome. it's, it's sort of thing you can just do at a conference and people love it or those hackable <laughs> badges and things like that I don't know if you saw those did I you? I wish I got one okay well maybe <laughs> Maybe we can fix that but yeah the so we've got these hackable badges which is like micro python based badge with an e-ink display mm-hmm. um, that again was my hobby project I yeah. was like let's just go do this it'd be fun so yeah it's cool yeah I've seen a few of those those are really
0: cool in fact I saw them and then I was like, "How do I get one?" And so I found like the website where they were purchased from
1: the Badger. Yeah, yeah, right, but but not the GitHub special ones. Yeah, but yeah, not yeah. The, yeah, not the GitHub yeah. ones, but they they similar. Yeah, yeah, it's similar. is the company. Yeah, and, and I was it's like, called oh, a Badger Twenty Forty. I want one. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't know what I'd do with it, but I want it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's cool. Good. Um, well, awesome. Well, uh, I really appreciate you you know taking the time to chat with me. And, yeah. And. Uh, um, you know, thanks again for, for everything. Is there any, any any shout outs you want to do, or any like things you want to plug? Or
1: no, no. I mean, feel free to shout at me on social <laughs> at Martin Woodward. But apart from that, no. Thanks for having me, and thanks for taking the time. Yeah, awesome. Thanks again. Appreciate it.